Okay. There were two handouts on the table back there. Um, the one that was about, um, it was called Take Action, is the handout from a couple weeks ago when I completely forgot to bring the handout. And for any of you who wanted that handout, it's there. The, tonight, though, I'm going to be sharing the teaching entitled, Be Transformed by the Renewing of Your Mind. So let me just kind of tell you how God directed this teaching to come to be tonight. As I started the summer session, we do our Bible study, our healing Bible study, twice a year. We do it in the fall, starting in September. We do it again in the spring, like from March through June or March through May. And then the rest of the time, we allow the Holy Spirit to to just lead us. It's always about healing, but to lead us and direct us on what direction to take. So as I started this summer, I started teaching about faith, but about our faith being manifest in different ways. So God's part is done. It's done. Fran spoke that out, and it is finished. Jesus did everything that is ever going to be needed. He did the work of healing. When he did the work of redemption, when he died on the cross, when he took the stripes on his back, when he did the work, he did it well. He completed it. It's finished. Our part is to believe. Our part is to simply believe. It's not hard. It's like a child believes. Our part is to simply believe. And when we simply believe, we connect and we receive the finished work. So over the last several weeks, I've been teaching about that belief, about that conviction or that being convinced of the truth of the word, being convinced that the God of the universe has promises in this that are ours, that they're true, that God is faithful to his word. It's, it's simply believing God at his word and that what he says he does. He's already accomplished and it's ours. So that's the faith part. But then I started uh, moving in a little different direction. I start, and I taught one week about trust. Trust being our leaning on God for support instead of leaning on ourselves. Because in this world, we tend to lean on our own understanding. We tend to try to figure things out and problem solve and be in control because that's what the world does. So we looked at what trust is and how God says, my best for you, my best for my kids is to lean on me for support, to trust me and not to try to do it on their own. Then the next week after that, I taught about hope. Hope is a step beyond trust because hope is this thing that rises up in us to expect what we're believing, to anticipate what we're believing, and even to have a, a confidence and a joy because you know it's yours, period. Whether you've seen it yet or not, you know that the, that's your end of the story because that's what God says. So that's hope, and it's just a powerful, oh, uh, energizing kind of a thing that rises up in you as you have faith and you trust, hope rises. Then last week or two weeks ago, I taught about taking action. And I taught about the importance of action following your belief and that there should be an action that corresponds to your belief. And we talked about having an aggressive faith or an assertive faith and walking in faith. Now today, this, this session about renewing your mind, about being transformed, kind of puts this all together. Because... In order to believe, we need to have new mindsets and be transformed. And when we're transformed, then we trust. When we're transformed, hope arises. When we're transformed, we take steps of faith. And God provided everything that we need. I'm going to be teaching the, the foundation scripture is Romans 12, 2. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that's, his, that's God's word. He's telling us to be transformed. So let's just take the scripture and just break it down a little bit. Before the comma, before the first comma, 
the scripture says, do not be conformed to the world. That word conformed means don't fall into the world's way of doing things, the world's view, the world's reaction, the world's protocol. He says, don't do it. Don't be pressed into doing things the way the world does them because he's got a better way. And his better way is to be transformed. He says, don't be conformed to the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is only used three times in the New Testament. The Greek form of that word is metamorpho. It's only used three times. It literally means metamorphosis. It means to be changed from one form into another. The other two times it's used, one of them is where it says, when you behold in the word, the glory of God, you'll be transfigured or transformed into his very own image. Glory by glory by glory. That's one of the times. And it's talking about us being transformed as we behold in the word of God, the glory of God. And that scripture reference is 2 Corinthians 3.18. The other time it's used is when Jesus goes to the mountain with his three closest apostle friends, James, John, and Peter, and he's transfigured before their very eyes. And the glory of God just shines within him and out of him. It's called the transfiguration. And that's the third time this word is used. Let that settle in for a minute. The same way that Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's calling us to be transfigured, to be transformed, to be changed from one form into another. Think about metamorphosis. You have a little caterpillar, little creepy crawler thing with worm, a wormy thing with legs, it just crawls. It goes through a certain stage of life and then it forms a chrysalis or a cocoon. It stays in that cocoon for a period of time. We're going to talk about that later. And then when it comes out, it's a butterfly. It's completely transformed. It is no longer a caterpillar. It will never again be a caterpillar. It has been completely transformed, completely made new. And now it has wings and it's beautiful. Big difference. That's what God says will happen to us when we renew our mind. That's what we're going to be talking today about what that means and what it looks like. And, and some steps, and I don't like to say steps because it sounds too legalistic, but some, some direction on how to renew your mind. That word renewal, renewing your mind, is, um, can also be um, translated or, or explained as a renovation or a remodel. So think about a renovation. So right now I'm just going to be picturing in my, my mind renovating a kitchen. It's a big mess. When you renovate a kitchen, the first thing you need to do is demolish the old. You're not going to put new countertop on your old, probably. You're not probably going to you know, put new cabinets on top of your old or new appliances in there and on top of your old. You're going to get rid of the old stuff first. You're going to do a de demolition first. And then you can do the remodeling. As we renew our mind, that's what's happening very often. We're, we're renovating. We're demolishing old mindsets. And we're replacing them with new. Now let me give you an example. This is very common in the Christian world out there. Before I was diagnosed with cancer, I didn't know that it was God's will to heal. I knew that it was God's will to forgive sin. I knew that it was God's will for me to um, be forgiven so that I could go to heaven someday after I died. I knew that. But I didn't know that there was a whole nother huge dimension of the promise, which is abundant life and healing as part of abundant life. I didn't know that part. And so, and I had never seen a miracle. I had never witnessed anybody that I knew 
that had been healed or that had miraculously done, been healed. And then all of a sudden I'm diagnosed with stage four cancer. Before my diagnosis, if I were to pray, it was always an if it be your will prayer because I didn't know God's will. So I prayed, God, if it's your will, heal me. But if it's not your will, whatever, give me strength, help me, whatever. Because I didn't know better. But when my friend, when this, this young teacher started to tell me truth, I started to, to do the caterpillar thing. I started to be renovated. And that old mindset over time was replaced. That old mindset was demolished. That, that thing that I believed that wasn't true was demolished and it was replaced with truth. The truth that it is God's will to heal. So when I prayed, I didn't have to wonder. I didn't have to question. I could pray and declare with belief because I knew the truth. The old had been demolished. My mind was renewed in that area. So the scripture says to be transformed, to be metamorphosized by the renewing or the remodel of your mind. And then there's another part of the scripture. It says, so that you may prove, so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove means that you test or examine. You take the word of God and the, the, the situation of your life and you test and examine what you've been believing with the word of God. And the scripture says when your mind is renewed that you test it and you recognize that this is genuine. You come to know that this is genuine after you examine it. That's all part of the renewing of the mind. We're going to talk about that as the evening goes on. So I want to read the same scripture now from the New Living Translation. It's just a little uh, more um, friendly to our, our era that we live in now. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So I want to dis di differentiate right now between logos word and rhema word. We're talking about being renewed in your mind and the place that we're going to be renewed is in the word of God, through the word of God. So I want to distinguish between the Logos word of God and the Rhema word of God. They are both Greek words that are used in the scripture to refer to the word of God. The Logos word of God is the written word. So every single word in the Bible is his Logos word. And the good news is, according to... Um, 2 Timothy 3.17, every word is God-breathed. Every word is God-inspired. But that word logos is the same word that our word logic comes from. We can study the word. We can go to Bible studies. We can study it on our own. We can read it. We can delve into it. We can study it. And we can grow in understanding, and that's a good thing. We can grow in knowledge, and that's a good thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that your mind is going to be renewed. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. There are people who study the word. There are great theologians, but they're still caterpillars. They're smart caterpillars. They're very knowledgeable but they haven't been made new. There's not the fruit that should be part of the, the life. There's not the evidence of the power of the word being effectual in their lives. They're not living the abundant life that God gave them to live. They're not rejoicing when they wake up instead of sitting under the oppression of life, whatever's happening. Logos doesn't necessarily transform you from one form into another. You can grow in understanding and logic and still not be transformed. 
Rhema is the other word that is used for God's word. Rhema refers to God's word being revealed, being deeply rooted and, and, and rooted and grounded in your heart. It's his spoken word. It doesn't have to be audibly spoken, although very often it is audibly spoken from people or from your own mouth. But it can just be his still, small voice spoken to your heart. But instead of it just being in your head, a rhema word is revealed to your heart. I'm going to give you a few examples of, of how a word might become rhema. Every word is logos, but not every logos word becomes rhema. I'm going to give you some examples of how it sometimes does become rhema. The first way is it, it becomes rhema right from the logos as you're reading it, and it becomes rhema to your heart. It's a supernatural thing. As you're reading the Bible, there's just a quickening or a, a stirring in your heart, and God is speaking to you, something that you needed to hear. Maybe it's a prayer you've prayed. Maybe it's a question you've had. Maybe it's a, a, a concern that you've had. And God speaks to you from his word. He's done that to me so many times. I love it when he speaks to me from his word like that. It's almost like it comes right off the page. It's almost like instead of a little bitty print, it turns into a 20 font. It's just, it's just God speaking to you. He did that to me this week. I was reading the scripture in Hebrews 12, verse 2. And part of the scripture says that Jesus, for the joy of obtaining the prize, endured the cross. That's just a little piece of that verse. And I was meditating on that. And as I was meditating, and I, I, I love that word. And whenever I read it, I just, I just get kind of awestruck with the, with the, that the truth that Jesus loved us so much that he chose to die. And he did it with joy. Not, he didn't have joy when he was enduring the cross. There's no way that could have brought him joy. But he had joy in the prize, and we were the prize. He was, he was so excited to reconcile us to the Father. He was so excited to get that barrier out of the way. He was so filled with joy that he was taking a step that would change mankind for all times. He wanted to do what he did. He did it with joy. So I always meditate on that, and I'm always overwhelmed. But this is where, where God spoke to me. It's just so beautiful. And it's for all of us. It's not just for me. What he showed me is that that is what happens to all of us in, the, in whatever the calling is on your life. with the joy of obtaining the prize, we endure, and I don't even want to say the cross because that's nothing compared to what Jesus did, but with the joy of obtaining the prize, why do you think can I do what we do? It's for the joy of obtaining what, what I see right here in front of me. It's, this, it's so fulfilling. I can't even begin to put it into words. I was telling Anne Marie as we were talking, I said, I can't even tell you how excited I get when I see anybody. They can be so very sick, but I don't see the so very sick. I see the healed. I see the finished work. I see the prize. And I get so excited. It's the joy of obtaining the prize that I, reason I do what I do. It's, and that's the truth for all of us. So if you're a teacher, it's for the joy of obtaining the prize of seeing those kids learn that you endure the work of being a teacher. If you're a nurse or a doctor, it's for the joy of seeing those people ministered to and cared for and comforted and healed that you do the drudgery of all of the work. And I, I, I don't even know how people to take care of sick people all the time, but they do it with this joy that's in them. If you're a, a, a businessman or a businesswoman, it's for the joy of obtaining the, the fulfillment 
of that business prospering. So whatever it is that you're called to do, that scripture applies. And that's how God just started to unfold his word to me in a deeper way than I've ever seen that particular scripture. And I was undone. I was literally undone with the truth of that word as God started to show how that applies to us. We're made in his image. So one of the ways Rhema can be deposited is right from the Bible into our hearts. And the second way I already kind of gave you an example of, it's when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He might take something that started from the Bible and like take layers off and show us something deeper. It might be where you're in prayer or in worship and you just sense his voice speaking to you. So sometimes it's that still small voice that speaks directly to your heart. That's a rhema word. Another way that rhema can be revealed to your heart is through the anointed teaching of a, a, a man or a woman or a friend or an anointed conversation. It's almost as if God is speaking directly to you through that person. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. It happens to me all the time. It's like, God, did you tell them what I needed? <laughs> because that's exactly what I needed. And I'm sitting in, and I'm just in awe that God cares so much that he would, he would have that person prepare that message just for me because that's just what I needed. That's a rhema word, and God is speaking to us that way. And the fourth way that I want to share is what I'm really going to focus on tonight. And that is God's word can become rhema. It can gradually grow into rhema in our hearts as we meditate on the promises of God. Now think of that cocoon. There's a caterpillar. He eats, he eats, the very hungry caterpillar. He gets big, he grows, he grows. Then he forms the chrysalis or the cocoon and he stays inside for a while before he emerges as a butterfly. That cocoon part, that staying in that safe place is our meditation. And while that caterpillar's in the cocoon, a whole lot is going on. Oh, I don't know how in the world it happens. That's a miracle that God created. That's just amazing. But something's happening in that cocoon. And when we're meditating, something's happening. We're going to go through what what the Bible says in some of those areas about what is happening in us in a minute. But there's something happening. And that's another way that Rhema can, can develop is as we meditate on his word. So the next piece that I want to share with you tonight is a little piece of a teaching by a man named Mark Verkler. Kent and I just finished a 10-week Bible study at our church called How to Hear from God. And hearing from God is rhema. Rhema is God's spoken word. And so these are just a couple nuggets that Mark Verkler shared that I thought were really powerful because we're talking about hearing from God and renewing our mind so that we can be transformed out of that old mindset and into his truth. So there's a chart on your handout, and it has study on one side and it has meditation on the other. And we're just going to compare the two. The first line says, nowhere in scripture is study of the word endorsed. Isn't that interesting? There is one scripture that talks about studying, and it is in um, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. But the word study in the scripture is actually only translated study in the King James Version. If you go to the New King James, it doesn't say study. If you go to the Amplified or the New Living, it doesn't say study. Because that word study really means to um, give diligence or to be eager or to try hard. The scripture says in New King, or King James, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that word is logos, rightly dividing the logos of God, of truth. In the, in the Passion Translation, it doesn't say study. It says, always be eager. Always be eager 
to present yourself before God as a perfect and mature minister without shame, as one that unapologetically preaches and correctly announces the word of truth. Yeah. That's the only time that the word study is used. But meditation, the word meditation is endorsed 18 times in scripture. 18 times. I'm going to read a few of them later on this, in this study. The word study means me in action. Me by myself. Me without God. Meditation is God in action within me. You know, when I, 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 as I was preparing this message today, I was, I was just thinking about preparing messages. Because what do, what, is, what do I do? I study the word. I go to the word and I, and I but you know what? It's not, just, it's not just the logos and Cindy. It's, it's God with me. I don't do it on my own. I pray, I worship before I start preparing the message. I say, Holy Spirit, I need you. And he does, he helps, he anoints me, he gives me direction. I don't do it with just study. It's God with me, it's not just Cindy. Now let's go back to the chart. Study is me using reason or rationalism. And the definition of rationalism is reliance on reason as a basis for establishing of a religious truth. But meditation is God granting me revelation because my heart and my mind are yielded to him. It's a difference. Study gives me reasoned knowledge. Meditation gives me revelation knowledge. Study results in wisdom from below, like earthly knowledge. Um, natural knowledge, and it can even be demonic knowledge. But meditation results in wisdom from above. And according to James 3.17, that wisdom is pure and peaceable and gentle. Through study, scripture often remains logos. And so you increase knowledge and you increase understanding, but you might not be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. And you might stay in that place of being conformed to the world. You might still be that caterpillar. But with meditation, scripture becomes rhema. And your mind is renewed. And you are transformed into that new being. Listen to the scripture. This is Romans ten seventeen. So then, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Faith comes comes and that word hearing is the greek word i didn't look up how to pronounce it echo i don't know how to pronounce that word but that word hearing means to have audience with faith comes by having an audience with god and hearing his voice faith comes by having an audience with god and hearing the spoken word of god to your heart this is Mark Verkler's translation of the scripture. So faith comes by having audience with God through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and hearing his voice in my heart. Wow. There's a big difference between study and meditation. So this next piece, that's the title on your paper is The Senses of the Heart is another little piece of Mark Verkler's teaching that I thought was really powerful. Um, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the scripture says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And when we, when we break that scripture apart, we think of the evidence of things not seen being faith is the evidence of what you haven't yet Seen with your eyes, your senses, your physical eyes, your physical ears. You haven't heard the report. You haven't seen the report. You don't feel it in your body yet, but you believe it. That's faith. But Mark Verkler talks about these other senses. Not the natural senses of seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, tasting. But he talks about the senses of the heart. And what he teaches is that when we um, give God 
the, that part of us. When we offer him and yield those senses to God, we open ourselves up to Rama. We open ourselves up to seeing and hearing and, and knowing his will for us in our heart, not just in our head. So here are the five senses of the heart. The first sense of the heart are the ears, the ears of our heart. So when we yield God the ears of our heart, we're offering him our whole attention as we begin to read his word. Now, just picture your, if you, if you read the Bible, picture your time reading the Bible. Are you opening it up to the, wherever your ribbon is or your bookmark and saying, okay, I'm going to read this chapter today and just zipping through it? There's a difference. Or are you offering God your full attention? Incline your ear to his words and have an attentive attitude so that you're carefully listening to what he's saying to you from the passage. Proverbs 4.20 says, My child, my daughter, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. The next sense is the eyes of our heart. And what, what Mark teaches is to deliberately offer to God, deliberately yield to God the eyes of your heart, which is your imagination, to be filled with pictures and visions of the reality, the eternal reality of what you're reading. Kids are really good at this. When kids read a book, they get so into it. It's like, it's like better than a movie because their little imaginations just, just become the character. They become part of the book they're reading. As we grow up, sometimes we, we um, don't allow ourselves to use that, that gift that God has given us of an imagination. And it can even become atrophied from lack of use. But we can bring it back to life again by offering God the eyes of our heart and envisioning what his word says. Envisioning that word coming to pass in you. Envision yourself in the Bible. Envision yourself as that character in the Bible. Envision yourself with Jesus. And it just becomes implanted in your, in your heart instead of just your head. So offer to God the eyes of your heart. In Ephesians 1.18, there's a beautiful prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit. That's a good prayer to pray. The third sense of the heart is the mind of the heart. Throughout the day and night, ponder the words and the visions you've received. So you've, you've read the word, you've, been, you've given it your attention, you've allowed the eyes of your heart to open up and see the word. And when we yield God the mind of our heart, we're pondering what we've read, the words we've read, the visions that we've seen in, the, in our imagination. And we're seeking greater revelation and how it might be integrated into our life. Proverbs 4.21 says, Don't lose sight of them, and it's referring to God's word. Don't lose sight of my word. Let my word penetrate deep into your heart. The next sense of the heart is the will, the will of the heart. God wants us to yield our will to him. And to make a choice to fully receive and obey the word that he's speaking to you. One of the ways we do that is to declare the verses and the truths out loud, personalizing them by putting your own name in there and meditating upon them. This is an example I'm going to share with you. This is uh, just a, a, one of the scriptures that God just brought up off the page to me during a season of my life when I needed this word. It's Psalm 91, verses 14 through 16, and I'm going to put my own name in it. God says this to me. 
He says, Cindy, because you have set your love upon me, therefore I will deliver you. Oh, I love this promise. You know and understand my name. You have a personal knowledge of my mercy, my love, and my kindness. You trust me. You rely on me. You know I will never forsake you. No, never. You shall call upon me, and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. With long life will I satisfy you and show me and show you my salvation. Isn't that beautiful? Our part is to yield our will to take that word that God has lifted up off the page and and allow it to feed us and build us up and strengthen us and, and build up that that faith muscle inside of us. Encourage us. Edify us. Every time I read that scripture during that particular season of my life, I was just completely at peace. Instead of being in fear with a situation I was going through, God just calmed me right down, said, look at Cindy. This is what I'm doing for you. The last emotion of the heart that I want to touch on is, um, or the last sense of the heart is the emotions of the heart. God has given us emotions. We're the, probably the only created being that has emotions. They're good. And this deep underlying emotion that we have, there is a connection. When the word of God is spoken, when that word of God becomes more and more real or revealed to your heart. There is an, a, a stirring up. There is a connection. And it is, it is emotional. It's good. I literally often feel um, a victory, almost this victory cry rise up in me as I declare the word, as I speak the powerful word over you or over me. There's something that just rises up, this strength, this a, a power this assertiveness. So there's, uh, this is the third bullet on your, on your list. Literally, it's almost like a victory cry rise, rises up within because that word is true. <laughs> that word trumps everything else. And so when you declare that word, there's just this victory that rises up in you. The second bullet is another powerful piece of emotion that goes with the word. And that is that God allows... Um, us to, if, as you become more sensitive to the word and let it guide you, he leads you. It might be peace that he's leading you with. Maybe there's a direction in your life that you're not quite sure what to do or what to do next or what step to take or what direction to go. This thing called peace can be a direction. It can give you direction. And it often comes through the word. Another thing that often leads me is unrest. If I have a check, I call it a check. There's something that just doesn't feel right. But that's directing me not to go that way. So that's another way that the emotions of our heart, we, if we yield ourselves to God, he can direct us with peace or with a lack of peace. So we have all of these emotions of the heart. And God says, yield yourself to me. Yield yourself to me and I will be there. I will direct you. I will speak to your heart, give you direction. So I want to, the next thing I want to do is I want to share three, I want to expose three twists of the enemy on meditation. I'm going to get those out in the open, and then we're going to look at what biblical meditation is. I'm going to give you some how-tos. So when you go, it's very practical. You're going to love this. So the, here's the three twists. You're not going to love this. <laughs> but it's important to know this. There are three twists that I want to expose right now. The first one is, first of all, meditation is God's idea, and it's good. But the enemy has taken this good thing called biblical meditation and he's twisted it into a negative and it's called worry 
We're really good in this world. This is the world's thing. The world is really good at worrying. Worrying is meditation. Worrying is meditating. But it's in the negative. And what it does is, again, it's one of the enemy's deceptions. What it does is it gets your focus on the problem and you divert your focus from the promise. Your promise, your, your, the good news you're being diverted from as you're spending your focus, you're spending your, your, your energies, both in your head and your emotions and your heart on that negative thing. And it's leading you into fear instead of into faith. It's leading you away from faith and into fear. It's meditation in the negative. The second twist, the second demonic twist, evil twist on meditation is what's called spiritual meditation. And it's, again, very prevalent out in the world. It's the world's way. It's uh, based on new, on Eastern religion, like Buddhism and Hinduism. And it's... Um, I don't research what it is because I won't do it, but basically it's emptying your mind instead of filling your mind. It's, and there's often relaxation exercises that go along with it. So there's emptying your mind and the relaxation things that go with it. But, and this really, it really angers me. I've seen this done a lot in schools, in classrooms when I was a teacher. I literally went to my principal and I was very adamant that this should not be happening in our classrooms because what they're doing is they're, they're teaching these little ones to do something that can open their mind to familiar spirits because it is spiritual, but it's not Holy Spirit. It's not God. So that's a, just a caution because it's one of the enemy's twists. Meditation isn't emptying your mind. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with the word of God. And I'm going to go through that in a sec. So that's another twist, enemies twist on meditation. And here's the third one. This one's really subtle. It's, it sounds holy. It sounds really good. But it is one of the twists of the enemy. And the, the twist is that there is a lie that, just simply, repetitively confessing scripture over and over will get God to heal you. No. God already healed you. You don't have to get him to heal you. He already did the work. When we believe that when we um, repetitively repeat scripture, that God is going to heal us, it's a works mentality. God heals through grace, just like he saves through grace. His part is grace. Our part is believing. Our part is simply believing. Now, I am going to talk about declaring the word. I am going to share that. So it is a very important piece. But if you just repetitively repeat scriptures and think it's going to get God to heal you, you're believing a lie. Faith is not just having a need and knowing a promise. Faith is not just a confession. Faith is who you are. Faith is when you come out of that cocoon and you're a butterfly. That's what faith is. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at what biblical meditation is. I'm going to look at two scriptures, and then I'm going to share this amazing teaching that will show you the steps of biblical meditation and how, to, how there's like a, a, a continuum of growing in this process of meditation. So, here's two scriptures. The first one is Joshua 1.8. The word says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. That's good report. God says to, to take the word, keep it on your lips. So there is an important part about speaking it. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He says to um, meditate on it day and night, night and day. Observe it to do. Last week we talked about taking action. When God gives you direction, take action. And then you will be prosperous. You will be successful in life. 
but meditation is the key. And then in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. I would like to just put worldview on those first verses. Don't be conformed to the world's way. But instead, they delight in the law of the Lord. They delight in the law. We could also use the word word. They delight in the word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted by the water, river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. So the, the connection between meditating day and night, being fruitful and prospering in all they do. So let's look at meditate. I think it was two summers ago that Tom did a teaching on renewing your mind and he shared this nugget that I'm going to share with you that has grown in my heart over the last couple of years in a really amazing way so I thank you Tom for sharing this the first time that word meditate that we just read is the the Hebrew word Hagah and when you look the word Hagah up in a concordance there are five or six other words that can be translated from Hagah. And those words are utter, mutter, meditate, imagine, speak, and roar. It's interesting the order that those words come in the concordance because that is what I see as we grow in meditation. They're in that order. At the steps, and again, I don't like to use the word steps, but I'm going to. The steps of meditation are in that order. So let's, let me show it to you. The first step of meditating. First of all, what are we meditating on? The word of God. The word is seed. The word is seed. And the first step of meditating is the uttering and muttering of the word, which just means that we're speaking it out loud. We're speaking those promises out loud. So the seed of the promises of the word are going into the soil of your heart. Now think about a seed. A seed, when it's not planted, is, doesn't look like it's living. It's just a dry little, little tiny thing. And when that seed is put in the soil, it germinates. I forgot your name. Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, as you've been speaking the word... And it's going, you've been speaking it out loud, and it's been going into your heart, it's germinating. You might not feel it, you might not know it, but it's germinating. So when a seed goes under the ground and you plant it in the dirt, you don't see it come up right away. But something's happening under the ground. It grows a little teeny root, it grows a little teeny sprout, but you don't see a thing. But it's sprouted, it has germinated. And when you are reading those words out loud, it's happening. Another um, analogy I like to use is that of becoming pregnant. So when, uh, when, a man, when a woman becomes pregnant, there's two seeds that join together and there's conception. A woman and a man don't usually know when she's become pregnant, but she's still very pregnant. That seed is fertilized. It is in the womb of the woman and is someday, it's someday going to be a baby. So... When we take in the seed of the word, as we utter and we mutter it, we are conceiving a promise. We're getting pregnant with a promise. Or that seed is germinating. Then, number two, then we meditate. Meditation is when we think about that word. So you've got the promise, you've been speaking it out loud. But now instead of just speaking it out loud, you're thinking about it. You're pondering it. You're contemplating it. You're focusing on it. Talking to God about it. Asking God questions about it. Maybe talking to other people about it. You're meditating on it. I know one of the scriptures that uh, when I was first, had my little blue book, just like yours, little Charles Capps book. One of the scriptures in there, that just would, every time I read it, it would just 
overwhelm me. It was the one that said, um, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. And I would just sit and I would just contemplate that. The same Holy Spirit. So here, Jesus was dead. He died a brutal death. He was in a grave for three days. And the power of the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And he didn't get raised from the dead brutally beaten and half dead. He was fully alive, fully alive. But that same Holy Spirit is in me. That same degree of the Holy Spirit is in me. That's what the scripture said. And I would read that and contemplate that, and it would just overwhelm me. So meditating is a step beyond just reading the scriptures out loud. The next step is imagining. Imagining that that, that picture that we've, that we've had, we talked about the eyes of our heart. We see ourselves in that scripture. We see what it would be like to have that promise come true in us. Our imagination, the eyes of our heart, is the ability to see with your heart what you can't yet see with your eyes. So you're seeing with the sense of your heart, the eyes of your heart. Now, again, using myself for an example, when I, um, that same scripture about the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me, I remember, and then the next part says, and he quickens our mortal body. And I remember imagining the power of the Holy Spirit in my body. And in my body, I had cancer through my whole lymphatic system. So I imagine my lymph nodes being completely healed. Being, you know, lymph nodes are supposed to destroy disease. So I saw that going on in my body and cancer being completely obliterated with the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, was resurrecting me, was resurrecting the lymph nodes in my body and destroying cancer. So I was envisioning, envisioning, imagining what was going on with the word, with the promise. And then next, number four, we speak it for what we believe will naturally rise up within us. Second Corinthians 4.13 says, Yet we have the same spirit of faith as he had who wrote, I have believed and therefore I've spoken. We too believe and therefore we speak. Because once something is so deep in you, it can't help but come out of you. It's part of who you are. It's all of who you are. And it has to come out of you. You believe, therefore you speak. Now those last three steps, step two, three, and four, the meditation and the imagining and the speaking, during that, during that part of meditation, that's the, the gestation of the seed. So that seed, when it first um, germinated, it just was still under the ground. You couldn't see it. But with these steps of meditation, picture a tomato plant, because I've got them in my backyard, and they started out really, really tiny. They weren't seeds, though. I didn't start them from seeds. And now they're out of the cages. They're just huge. They're all over the cages, out, hanging out all over, and they've got tomatoes and blossoms all over them. They're not ripe yet, though. But this huge, beautiful plant... That's what happens through meditation. It grows and it grows and it's healthy and it's strong and it's green and it's full of life. And my other example is that of being pregnant. With, with your um, meditation, with your imagining, and with your speaking, it's like a woman who gets more and more and more and more pregnant until she can't hide it anymore. That baby is getting big and it moves and she can feel that baby move and she knows that baby's in there. It kicks, it's heartbeat. She sees the ultrasound. She knows that baby's there. And she's imagining, a mama's imagining holding that baby and having that baby in her arms and, and imagining that baby in her arms and growing and thriving. That's what's happening during... Medi during those steps of meditation. That's what's happening in the spiritual realm. And it's more real than being pregnant. It's more real than my tomato plant. It's a whole lot more real. 
And then comes the fifth, the fifth step, which is the roar. The roar. Think about a lion. When there's a lion in the jungle and it roars, every creature in that jungle knows that the lion's there. That's what happens when we roar. That thing that's inside us, that belief, that faith that's inside us is refusing to keep silent. It's refusing to be held back. Faith is making itself known. Amen. 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 So what I want to share, and I've already shared a little bit of, of what it looked like and felt like in me, but I want to, I want to go back. And I want to just kind of, I didn't know all this when I was going through this process, but in hindsight, I look back, and that's exactly what happened. And it's happened numerous times as I believed for different things, as I have stood on God's word for different needs or different seasons of my life. But the one I want to share is at the very beginning when I was first coming to know truth. And the uttering and muttering thing, my friend Jenny, my mentor, gave me that little blue book, just like Lori gave you, Anne-Marie. She gave me that little book, and she said, Cindy, this is your medicine. Read these out loud every day. And I did. I took that little book home, and I started reading those scriptures out loud. They didn't feel real to me. The promises of God, they were, it was good news, but it didn't feel real to me. I would read them out loud, and I was, it gave me something I could do when the doctor said there was nothing I could do. So that was good. But I didn't, I didn't really believe it, or at least I didn't think I did. But I, I just kept doing it. But what I didn't know was that that seed was going in. And I did get pregnant with the promise. I didn't know I was pregnant. I didn't know it. I couldn't see it. I didn't feel it. But it was going in. Then, like I said, I started contemplating. I started imagining. I started focusing. I started talking to God about the scripture. I started personalizing it. Nobody told me to do that. It just kind of naturally happened as I was developing my walk with God. And as I did, it got bigger and bigger and bigger in me. That promise became real to me. Remember how I said logos can become rhema? It, that's what happened. It didn't happen all at once. It happened gradually. But it started to become real to me. And then I remember the part about speaking, I believe, therefore I speak. I remember I talked to a lot of people. I couldn't not talk. It was such a big part of my life. But I remember one particular person I talked to was the principal at the school that I worked at. And we worked very closely together because of the job I had. She was a really good friend, but we worked close together. And she was a person I went to daily. And every day I was telling her what God was showing me or, or the God incident that happened that particular day or how a certain prayer had been answered. I didn't have my good report. I still was diagnosed with cancer. I still had all kinds of tests to show cancer in my body. But I was growing in my walk with God. And every step of the way, I, I spoke about it. I went and talked to my, my friend about it. When I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, I had to go and tell her all about it. When I was water baptized, I had to go and tell her about it. When I, when I had a good report from the doctor, oh boy, did I have to go and tell her about it. And I just walked through that whole season talking to this person. I'll tell you the end of my story in a second. But the next fall, she caught me in the hall one day. And she said, Cindy, do you have a minute? And I said, yeah. And she said, come here in my office for a sec. So I went to her office. I thought it was a school thing. Closed the door. And she said, will you pray with me for salvation? <laughs> yeah. It was that speaking. She saw God. She saw what God did in me. She saw something new in me, and she wanted what I had. That, that speaking, I couldn't help it. It was in me, and I spoke it. But then comes the roar, number five, the roar. And as I look back at that season of my life, there was one particular day where that roar rose up in me. And um, for those of you who know me, that's, that's not typical I know it was God. I know it was the Holy Spirit that was stirring so big in me. But on that day, I, it was the day that I was scheduled to have exploratory surgery. And um, up until that point, I didn't know that I was healed because I couldn't see what was going on inside of my body. 
there uh, it's a long story but there were there were ups and downs in my journey there were a lot of divine delays in my journey there were there were tests that were confusing there were some good ones and then some more bad ones and there was just a lot of stuff going on during that season in the med- medical realm so they decided to do exploratory surgery and i i agreed to to have the exploratory surgery so that day the surgery was scheduled and i wasn't scheduled till late in the day so i wasn't able to eat or drink from midnight the night before, and I had to go all day without eating. So I was trying to keep my mind off of that. And um, I decided to go outside and do some gardening, because I love gardening. And I went out in my backyard, and I had a lilac bush, and it was late June, so all my lilacs were, were dried little clusters of dried lilacs. And I remember I got my pruning scissors, and I went out there, and I was started to prune off these dead lilacs. And as I did, that roar rose up in me. As I cut off those dead lilacs, I saw them like cancer that was completely dead and dried up. I'd cut off a bloom, a dead bloom, and I'd just heave it to the ground. I'd cut off another one and heave it to the ground. And I started, this roar just rose up out of me, and I was loud. And I was saying, cancer, you're dead. Cancer, you have no place in my body. Every single disease cell, every single cancer cell is completely destroyed, completely rooted out of my body. And I would just heave those things to the ground. And I was speaking life. God, you healed me. You died for my healing. I'm healed. I know I'm healed. I know that I know that I know that I know I'm healed. And as this roar was just rising up out of me, the tears were pouring down. And it wasn't, it wasn't tears of sadness. It wasn't tears of fear. It was tears of absolute passion in the truth of God's word and knowing that that was his promise for me. Knowing that was his promise for me. And that day... After I had the surgery, I came in to the recovery room. And when I, when I came out of the anesthesia, he was there. And he said, honey, there's no cancer in your body. There's no cancer in your body. You are well. And the, the pregnancy that I had gotten so big with, the pregnancy with the promise, I delivered that promise that day. And I was healed, and I am healed, and I'm going to stay healed all the days of my life. And that's your promise. That's your word. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Now, I'm going to close with one last scripture. This is Luke 137. Luke 137. And this comes from the, the, the account where the angel Gabriel is inviting Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. And when Gabriel comes and tells Mary all about this, Mary has to make a decision. She has to decide whether to believe and receive or to say, no, thank you. There's no way that she could begin to understand the magnitude of what Gabriel was telling her. First of all, the Jewish people believed Messiah was going to be their king. And a king is usually a big, strong person, not a baby. (laughs) But the angel was saying, Mary, God wants you to be the mother of the Messiah. She couldn't understand that. Not only that, she was a virgin. She wasn't even married yet. There's no way she could understand it. But a word that's spoken from God doesn't have to be understood. It only needs to be believed. And she chose to believe it. And then Gabriel said, with God, Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing will be impossible. And she received that promise. She received that word and she said, okay, so let it be done unto me according to your word. In that scripture, it says nothing will be impossible with God. The word nothing is made up of three words, three Greek words. No thing, rhema. The angel said, for with God, no thing that's rhema, no thing that God has revealed to your heart will be impossible. And then when Mary said, so let it be done unto me according to your word. She said, 
okay, let it be done to me according to your spoken word, according to that rhema that you've spoken to me. When we renew our minds with the word of God and we become transformed, that's what we're doing. We're receiving God's word. We're saying, God, let it be done to me according to your word. And God says, this is his word. He says, no thing that I've revealed to your heart will be impossible. But I'm going to say one, one thing that's, this is, this is tough love. If it's not Rama, if that word is logos, if you've studied it out, if you've memorized it, if it's in your brain, but if it's not in your heart, it might be impossible. Because in order for us to receive it, we have to believe it. So this process of renewing your mind is big. It's amazing. God gave us the way to receive every one of his promises. And that way is renewing our mind, being made new. I'm not the same person I used to be. I believe with every fiber of my being in God's will to heal, not just me, but all of you. And when I pray, I pray with, oh, everything in me, fervent, effectually, with the word of God, believing the word of God, because he's revealed his word to my heart. I've seen it through experience. I've seen healing through experience. But even if I hadn't, his word is real. His word is the final word. Whether you've seen it yet or not, it doesn't matter. His word is more real than anything that you've heard in the natural, anything you feel in the natural, anything your doctors told you. His word is more real. Renew your mind to his word. So this last statement on your paper and on mine, we need to agree with God. Our thinking and our perception needs to line up with how God sees things. Our renewed mind will change what we see. Our renewed mind will change what we say. And the impossible will become possible. Amen. 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 Amen.